Hello and welcome to Switch It. Crash bang, wallop, what a series. England completed their escape from 2-0 down and Stuart Broad completed cricket by taking the wicket that secured victory at the Oval before retiring from the game. The Ashes remain with Australia, but bragging rights are another matter entirely. Moral Ashes, anyone? Never mind Bazball, the series became more about curveballs. From Chris Wokes whizzing off with the Compton Miller medal despite sitting out the first two games, to Broad's mid-match fifth test bombshell. Australia's hopes of a first win in England since 2001 were dashed on the final afternoon, but Test cricket was the winner, according to Ben Stokes, and only those outside the big three would argue. Either way, it was breathless stuff from start to finish, with enough talking points to keep us going until the next Ashes in 2025-26, which means no rest yet for today's lineup as Andrew McGlashan and Batushan Ehantaraja dig deep for final spells. Uh, hello both. That was fun, wasn't it? Nasha, you can take your Rosie cap off now. It was. You'd all promised me it was <laughs> going to be fun, and it uh, it lived up to that. Um, living through Basball for two months was was quite the experience. From the first ball of the series to the last, really, wasn't it? it started with a boundary, ended with a wicket, and um, yeah, so much, so much in between. So yeah, England lived up to their side of the bargain. Um, Australia tried to go toe to toe with them in their own way. Um, successful for the first part of the series, and then it sort of fell apart a bit for them after that but just um yeah just a brilliant test series for, from start to finish really and um yeah nice that it nice we've got some time to reflect on it now it's been a pretty full-on couple of months but um yeah everything everything it had been promised it delivered so about six months to reflect on it from a, a, an england test perspective yeah yeah i feel like um it's interesting nasha saying there that he he enjoyed it because i felt like at the beginning certainly during the first two tests basball was like your unruly mate who you constantly apologise for and you find yourself saying, look, look w w once you get to know him, he's really sound. No, I really... kept asking you what the hell was going on. Exactly, yeah. And, and legitimately, yeah. You're like, oh, you know, there, there was a point in Edgerston where you turned to myself and Rollo and you were like, what are they playing? I think you exactly was, what are they playing at? And we just went, oh, this is what they do. <laughs> Honestly, you'll learn to love it. And, and by the end, you, you can't help but getting swept away. And it felt like... It felt a lot like last summer and then at the same time, totally different. I think because of the way the series panned out, bear in mind the fact that it was a five-match series just made it feel... I mean, it was obviously fundamentally longer, but it made it feel like you really went on this journey. And you ended up finishing yesterday thinking, I could rewatch that all again in the way that it was, I don't know, series two of The Wire. You know, <laughs> It was so layered, there's so many things going on, so many... Storylines, both interesting, both ridiculous, both nonsensical. Alex Carey got a haircut but didn't get a haircut. Like that happened. That was a thing. That was a thing. Got people out the rooms last night. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They didn't have a beer with them, but then they did at four a.m. Like, there's so many strands. And Stokesy tweeted about it to clarify. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You imagine um, Danny Rubin, England's me England men's media manager, wouldn't have been there yesterday. But imagine if you were someone around the team looking over at Stokes at four a.m. and seeing he's got his phone out and Twitter open, you'd panic, wouldn't you? Uh, all, all things considered, you know, he was the most level-headed throughout and he was the most level-headed at 4.11 a.m. Uh, the cricket was good, but, but the narrative, that's what we're talking about, the narrative was something else. Um, five, five tests, four spandex-type results, a rainy draw in Manchester. No one could have predicted it, could they, Bish? Well, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm already, I've just, you've got to, I'm going to predict the hundred now, men's and women's. So, you know, you've always got to think about the next thing. Um... Yeah, I, I honestly, uh, you know what? What I will say about when I predicted the scoreline, but also th the idea of morality coming into this series, it, 
that I, I wasn't just throwing that on a whim because it really felt coming into this summer that it, everything had been geared up towards this. You know, Australia had been talking about England playing, or you know, England's form of play, and, and certainly the, what England was saying last summer. You know, the Ron Ball sign and, and this, that, and the other, and, and there was. I, I was really looking forward to Australia coming because I, I think it was the it was going to be the true acid test of how McCullum and Stokes are playing because it relies so much on chat, to be honest, and it relies so much on stripping away the result. And how do you do that for an Ashes? It's impossible. And and actually, I think we found out that, A, you can't do that, and B, they probably weren't actually trying to do that. They were just trying to give a, you know give an outward message that would filter in internally and almost reinforce their own messaging behind closed doors. Um, but I thought fundamentally it would come down to a stage of we're going to play this way, we're entertaining. How are you going to play? Are you going to be entertaining? And Australia weren't, but they, they won those first two tests. And then suddenly England, you know, came through off the rails. And here we are, you know, with the more Ashes. Well, so they didn't quite become only the second team in history to win the Ashes from 2-0 down. Or did they, Nasha? Uh, well, <laughs> they, they are the first, they are the first team to come back from 2-0 down against Australia. So, which, which in and, itself is pretty incredible. And, and draw. And, and draw, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it says it was a draw, but... Yes, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Is that up for debate? What, what, what is the... How are the uh, Australians feeling on the plane home later this week? I think they're pretty flat, if I'm honest. I mean, 2-0 up, um, day and a half into Headingley, England were 120 behind at lunch on that second day. Um, and then the tail and Ben Stokes got them level. Steve Smith, Marnus Abashane give their wickets away to to Moeen Ali, um, and from there, that's where things sort of changed. Yes, the result at Headingley was narrow, um, but then Manchester was anything but um, until it rained. Um, and then the Oval was another very good test match, but that was where, if we take it back to the beginning, where England were dropping the catches at Edgebaston and the, the fielding errors, which decided that game, that was then Australia's. They dropped five catches on the first day at the Oval, uh, the key one being Alex Carey when Harry Brook had five. Um, so by the end of the series, Australia were making more mistakes. And I think that's an example of, and going back to what Vish said about a basball series of five tests, is that the pressure the opposition are under to counter England the way that they're playing, they did superbly in the first two to do that. Um, but to sustain that over five tests, I think that's what we saw the new angle of basball in here. Like the other series had been three was the most of basketball yeah, series had been yeah. up till then um so like so much in five test series the narrative builds so you have player v player so you have mm. broad v worn or you have new ones emerge um during a series like cummins v brook became quite a good one in this series and then uh, wokes v warner as yeah, well wokes yeah v warner which unfortunately we stopped just as it's getting started um but that's what you get over the five test series and that's what australia found really hard to do so um kind of um and it wasn't so much um well i say it wasn't so much kind of the actual aspect of the batting the bowling it was but i think it was just it was almost like this constant drip drip of your playing against basball all the questions were like can you keep up with their pace and australia were very steadfast that they didn't need to do that and they were proved right in the first two um and i guess vish might talk more about this but kind of two of the sliding doors moments of this one was nathan lyon's injury at lords the other um on the flip side was Ollie Pope's injury because that forced England to rebalance their side and also Stokes admitting he couldn't bowl. That made England a better team. Um, it weakened Australia. Uh, and the more that went on, Australia struggled to, to, to keep up with that tempo that England just didn't stop playing at. Yeah, the, um, the Nathan Lyon injury was such a key 
point in all this because I know these figures didn't necessarily reflect it because of, I suppose, how we traditionally look at economy rates and stuff like that. But he was, I thought he was outstanding at Edgbaston. And I think he put something in their heads about, look, I'm, I'm totally unbothered by, by what you're doing. I've, it's almost like he, he came into the series already with a significant body of work that he just didn't, it didn't matter if his, you know, if his economy rate was, you know, a bit more expensive, if his average, you know, ticks up here and there, because he's actually quite reinforced because of, I suppose, his longevity. And the funny thing was, you know, he goes down and what do we meet England immediately do? They capitulate. <laughs> Despite you know, as he's hob- I think he's you know he's hobbling around and just about getting up to the changing room when Ollie Pope slaps that one in the air to um, deep backward square. But then as as it pans out, you know you look at the Headingley chase in particular. Nathan Lyon is coming on earlier than Todd Murphy and staying right through to the end, and they're requ- rotating all those quicks at the other end, and it's so much harder to do from that point of view. In the end, Murphy, what is, what does he end oh, up? Two overs, like two, two overs, one yeah. over spells mm-hmm. in that chase. Yeah. And it's it's a completely different game. Um, I mean, you know, fair play. I, I was generally really impressed. I've, I've not really followed any of the kind of, um, you know, the gnarling on social media, but I have been quite impressed that at no point have Australian players, whether that's Pat Cummins or anyone else who's done media, any coaches, at no point have they said, well, you know, we are, we are missing Nathan Lyon. They've just got on with it. They've been very uncomplicated and, and quite thorough in their thinking. It's just... You know, as Nash was saying, that it feels like they've by the end of it they were just physically and probably emotionally exhausted by just England coming at them day after day with the bat. Lyon uh, was their most economical bowler with uh, well, four, going at four runs and over everyone else uh, higher than that. Uh, I mean, just to, to come in on the point of of, of kind of uh, turning points uh, and and kind of the way the the series kind of went back and forth. I mean, just some of the bizarre things uh, about this series Moeen, starting with Moeen Ali's comeback when Jack Leach ruled out before the series you had Stokes declaring uh, on day one at Edgbaston you had Lions injury had the bear so stumping you had Chris Wokes winning uh, man of the series having not played uh, the first two games and been left out against Ireland earlier in the summer despite doing press two days out from it um, you had Mitch Marsh scoring one of the hundreds of the series at Headingley uh, Zach Crawley the second leading run scorer overall uh, Stephen Smith and Marnus Labuschagne underperforming according to all expectations. Stuart Broad retiring mid-game. Joe Root taking more wickets than James Anderson. Um, <laughs> it was quite Mitchell a lot. Stark being Australia's player of the series, yeah. four years on from playing yeah. one game. You could, uh, we, we could, we could probably do a whole pod uh, about the just the uh, the weird. Uh, stuff that that went Stuart down. Gordon twice flicking the bales and getting wickets. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. You didn't even mention that witchcraft. <laughs> you, you forgot to mention the witchcraft. Yeah, well, the, we've got a whole section on the broad, okay. broad magic. Um, yeah, I mean, it it was it was a lot. Yeah, like the. Uh, I, d- I don't really know. You didn't predict any of that stuff. No, I, I didn't. Mean. No, no. I, th- I mean, I just thought, you know, when you, I didn't know you could pay for haircuts via bank transfer, <laughs> international bank transfer. Um, I, I think the maybe it was always going to be this ridiculous because of the way England approached the game tactically on the field um, and specifically in the field. When you think of, it took them the best part of a month to. Realise that maybe Travis Head might be sketchy outside of stump, but it's full. 
Um, and obviously they knew that because actually they, they had some quite good good success against Travis Head. But, you know, th those plans from there right the way through to the fact that things do happen in the Ashes and that we thought we were going to get an, quite an uncontroversial series. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> the end of the second test, heads of state are getting involved, talking about, you know, what, this is a disgrace, that is a disgrace. Piers Morgan's calling out you know, Australians, and no one will talk, no, why won't anyone debate me? Like a clown. Um, <laughs> and then you, you end up in this situation where just <clears throat> the cricket day-to-day -day is compelling. And then when, even yesterday, when we thought, God, this is gonna, you know, there was, in the midst of that rain shower, we were like, oh, there's no way something can come from this. And of course they do, of course something came from it. We had a seven wicket session. We had actually, the final piece in, in a puzzle, which was a collapse, really, didn't we? Quite an old style yeah. England-Australian collapse. Yeah. That's particularly that bit where Wokes was nicking them off. That was Stuart Broad and Edgebast and Jimmy Anderson in 2015 or 2013. It was that sort of like, that was the one, as Vish, that was the one bit of Australia that they'd done well, partly because of conditions, like uh, they weren't traditional English pitches, certainly for the first couple mm. of tests. Um, but yeah, that, and I guess that, that ball change, something else weird. Another um, episode. Uh, and then suddenly it nibbled and, and Wokes looked like Jimmy Anderson at his best type of thing, or Chris Wokes at his best, shouldn't even compare him to another player. He is just Chris Wokes. And um, yeah, that, that was the one thing that Australia had avoided and they got one um, at, at the very last moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's uh, get in on the top floor of, of the Oval Test. Um, Australia set 384 to win Vish at this point you know England are kind of high on Stuart Broad vibes um, they are you know, on the on the comeback train it's going to be two all Broad's going to take the last wicket etc and so on and then Australia finished day four 135 for none um, but the, the pivotal moment had occurred when Mark Wood hit Usman Khawaja on the helmet uh, and the ball got changed and um Obviously, uh, that is a, an incident that will need to be investigated by the ICC and you know, poured over for from hereafter uh, for uh, you know the the conspiracy theorists out there. Um, Are you calling Ricky Ponting a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> I'm I'm just saying that I think it needs to be investigated. Well, it's funny because I I thought about doing <laughs> this is so sad. I thought about doing a piece on. Um, on basically um, change of balls, specifically during last summer when we had so many because mm. they were awful. Because what I didn't understand was how you could get a new batch of balls for a particular year from, from any producer or manufacturer, manufacturer um, and have different grades of balls in reserve because surely they'd have, you know, how it, presumably, you know, um, if someone takes a new ball and, you know, wins the end of the test and that, you know, the test goes into 100 overs. Yeah that ball is 20 overs old, say, and that's your representation for that. But you'd have to have them graded every 10 overs, wouldn't you, to have some kind of consistency. And whenever you change a ball, you, you always get a newer ball. Like, that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. No one's going to look in and think, oh, yeah, that's about, that looks about as, as rubbish as this Marlis one. Marlis might have a look. Well, you might, yeah, you might do. And, and you know what, it helped, didn't it? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. They probably actually needed someone to have a, have a look. You know, while Khawaja's getting his test, Warner should have been maybe should have been over there and, and done that. But obviously, because Manus did it before, I wonder if there was a bit, you know, there, there was a bit more like keeping them at a distance. But it was always going to be the case that it was going to be newer, it was going to be harder. I don't really know what way around it there is. Um, 
aside from the fact that England only used Mark Wood quite late because they were clearly trying to get it to reverse. And they wanted to save him for a period of, you know, maybe a, a seven over burst as he's done earlier this series. Um, and in doing so, they ruined the ball. And so we're like, oh, you know, it's gone, it's gone soft here. And it, and it had gone soft, otherwise they wouldn't have changed it. You know, they, Joe Wilson's handcuffs came out and they were trying to put them through that. Um, but also you kind of think, well, maybe that's a legitimate tactic then. Like, why, why wouldn't more teams try and do that in that particular situation? Let's try and get it to reverse. If it's not working, we've screwed up the ball, we'll just get another one. Yeah, I mean, and cha- asking for the ball to be changed has been a constant theme from both yeah. sides. Um, I think at Headingley, there was a ball change which benefited mm. us. I, mean, it, it I, d- I don't think it would have been changed uh, if it hadn't whacked the helmet, maybe, would it? That's the yeah. thing. That clearly took a chunk out of it or damage yeah. because there's a difference between it going soft and being scuffed up for reverse, mm. which is up to the players. Then getting clanged on the helmet, bit comes out of it and it's suddenly then. And that's, that's kind of not... That bit isn't in England's control. That's That just worked out for them. Um, and I suppose when you're looking for a change of ball in that scenario that kind of like you're you're not going to have balls of that condition necessarily in the box because that they don't all get scuffed up that way for a yeah. swing do you? so it's probably quite a unique set of circumstances and timings and flukeness mm. and then obviously the clouds came in and then yesterday there was the dank overhead conditions and all that so and all i'll say is you still got to use it well haven't you you still got to bowl it well and there have been times in this series where both sides have not used the new ball well there have been times when they have used a newer or new ball well (laughs) this was one of them um but again kind of yeah i clearly it changed the changed the dynamic of the game um but i yeah and it was a good talking point but i don't think it australia can't and, and they're not using it as an excuse it's it's more the outside voices as so much has been in this series that are going oh look at this i don't think that that's quite the way they're feeling the ECB are uh, commissioning a mural of uh, Kumar Dhanasena and Joel Wilson I think well as, <laughs> as, as they should be as, as, as they should build be build a yeah. man a statue yeah <laughs> uh, I mean it was still it was a mark of how the series went that, that, that fortunes kind of kept fluctuating there, there was a bit of a view I think all of the Sky commentary team at the start of the fifth day said Australia were favourites with 250 to get and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. and 10 wickets in hand obviously hadn't factored in the replacement ball and what it was going to do. But um, even when uh, there was a sort of mini collapse, three for three for 29 in the morning, um, Chris Wokes uh, doing his, doing the business uh, and then Australia rebuilt. And then there was another bizarre moment on the stroke of lunch where Ben Stokes caught Stephen Smith at sort of leg slip off Bowen Alley and then threw the ball away while celebrating. Yeah, that, that was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that you thought at that point, was that the... The final twist, um, and even that has been overnight. Seen some stuff about that on social media. That the kind of like it's, and I don't quite understand how people are getting to this conclusion that they're using it as an example of why England can't preach about the spirit of cricket. Because, and I guess probably because what we then hear from Stokes at the end of the game, I thought he explained it quite well. Yeah. That, that he was he didn't think it was a fair catch, but he was sort of talked into checking it in mm. a sense. Um, now, he did think that there's perhaps a conversation to have about whether that sort of review needs to come off the players' mm. tally. Um, and, of course, as soon as an England cricketer starts to talk about that, then they're taking the moral high ground and they're making up the rules and changing the game for for, for how they want to see it. But I don't actually think... Um, I don't think there was anything... In terms of how Stokes handled himself there, I don't think there was any issue there. It was nice that he then got a chance to take another catch 
later on and certainly made sure he held that one before he ran off in in in, in celebration I and mean, he did make a joke didn't he about it's normally his um normally his left knee that it's normally, position. it was yeah. the right knee that he was pissed off about yesterday because that's how he <laughs> knocked the ball out of his hands but um yeah strange moment wasn't it and you did think at that point kind of um life for smith they'd got it down after after the rain break to 120 hadn't they with mm. seven wickets in hand travis head was going nicely again um and then yeah the two the two uh the two legends moeen and chris wokes managed to uh to break it open yeah i mean uh, uh the, the the script the stage was set for, for stuart broad and he did eventually turn up um fish but it was kind of like the other guys um getting their getting their moment and you I mean you wrote about chris wokes moeen ali obviously uh, walked off arm in arm with broad at the end as well um it actually looked a bit like the rain well the rain made the draw more likely uh, it, it it didn't really affect australia's approach i think they still had to score about three and over but it, it concentrated england into yeah. like one final burst uh, to get it over the line. Yeah, I think they needed that rain delay on day four as well mm. because they looked con- ragged. And, and, you know, just beckoning the clouds in yeah, the wheel again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Probably Broad did that as well. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> switched a couple of cumulolimbuses around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was... Um, the There was a period just after the catch, obviously, when we went to lunch, we had the rain, we were off for a th- few hours, and he thought, good England would kill to be starting again without Steve Smith walking back out that door. And they'd lost that opportunity. And there was, you know, even just walking outside um, around the concourse of the Oval, there was a real deflation from England fans about, you know, this is it. This is how, like, a, such an engaging series is going to end. And and you you did wonder about the, just how it would be remembered because of the rain, because, hmm. you know, Old Trafford was a bit of a gut punch in terms of, just getting this decider, but then for for this to also look like it was headed that way was yeah, it was pretty depressing. Um, and the way they came out, they, you know, someone must have said something. I know they they always talk about how they you know don't give anyone the hair dry treatment or whatever, but Stokes was clearly issued a rallying cry before they got back out there because he celebrated every wicket with more vigor than I've seen this series. You know, he was basically celebrating on his own like running around in circles like everyone's chasing Stuart Broad and he's just you know just you know pumping his fist and screaming at the top of his lungs um I think the way they were able to dovetail Wokes and Moeen was incredible really not least because Moeen had half a groin um and was clearly it was clearly affecting the way he was completing his action and I think without Wokes they wouldn't be in this situation full stop because of the effect he had at Headingley and what he was able to do at Manchester before the rains came. And I thought it was quite quite apt that a bloke who um, has almost been blocked from having a true test career because of Anderson and Broad got Broad over the line in his for his celebration and also gave Anderson his first test win in eight years against Australia. Yes, um, yeah. Since uh, the 2015 series, we were we were wondering if uh, Jimmy was going to uh, get another one in his column. Uh, we'll probably save the Anderson chat for another day. Um, he's big. He's bad. He's off to be a stay-at-home dad. Uh, <laughs> Nasha, you've covered a lot of um, Stuart Broad's yeah. career. I mean, it, it was another sort of 
oh my broad moment at the end of day three he he walks out um having been unbeaten at the close um with england uh, what three seven seven ahead nine down uh walks out to do the post-match just says oh casually i'm i'm now retiring um i mean for one he he has beaten anderson to the punch having repeatedly sort of had to emphasize how he's four years younger than Anderson, you know, over the last kind of decade when people kept trying to retire them both at the same time. Um, uh, he, he's gone out very much on his own terms and he's gone out appropriately at the end of an Ashes series when he's become sort of so symbolic with that rivalry. Yeah, I think you can say he's timed it perfectly from that point of view. There were a couple of moments over the last couple of days where you did just wonder whether <laughs> it was going to backfire on them. Um, kind of whether it had sort of destroyed caused a distraction it all become a bit of a focus on him um and whether sort of australia had sort of channeled that into their own performances a little bit but um you did sense that there would be something there on the final day for him um and yeah look i mean it the way he explained his retirement it makes a lot of sense he could clearly have carried on um but for someone like broad who is such the big game um player and there's actually something interesting that I think was Alistair Cook said on maybe TMS last couple of days he said you face Stuart Broad in county cricket and you wonder how this guy's got 600 test wickets because it just doesn't get him going like it like it does I mean you're looking he's only just learned the outswinger well of course <laughs> yeah 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 uh, but you'll look at some of his county figures early in a season yeah. like even this season I think he was like 15 overs not for 60 maybe nicked one out or something like that but it was all just part of him needing some overs the real thing was around the corner and kind of it's unlikely he would have played many tests in India sort of thing this winter West Indies and Sri Lanka over here next summer um the next Ashes in Australia was probably too far so it did all line up and I mean I I kind of I guess you can look at the timing and go I mean it was when he came out on that night, and we can't use the word that Andrew Miller put on our channel when that <laughs> interview with Sky did start, but when you when he came out with the quote, oh, I decided at 8.30 last night, I mean, that itself is a very precise timing. <laughs> Sky had the montage ready. Mm. So clearly, clearly there's been an engineering of this position, and he admitted he'd been thinking about it for a while. Mm. It, it wouldn't, you, you're not going to say it, go down, it goes down as one of the biggest shock retirements ever. Um, and we've known he's had this Sky gig lined up almost a seat waiting for him when he wants to call it a day. It was pretty much getting warmed up when he was left out of the Caribbean, wasn't it? <laughs> Clearly, they thought that was going to be uh, the moment. So, I mean, there was a bit of a, a bit of a risk, if you want a better word, of doing it the way he did, because if Australia had chased that and it had gone wrong, I mean, it wouldn't have taken away anything that Broad had done, of course. He's a 600 test wicket bowler. One more day <laughs> in the field was not going to change that or not but it might have just changed the emphasis on it so from his point of view from England's point of view it needed to work out the way it did to not be judged in a slightly offbeat way if you know what I mean um but yeah I mean when Broad came on for that final spell I mean he did kept beating the edge a lot with mm. Murphy and <laughs> and Carey and you did just wonder I know Vish and I were talking about it, like oh they're gonna have to take the new ball here aren't they maybe give it to Wokes and we're wondering who else might might bowl with it um but yeah found a couple of edges and another another overall script it kind of reminded me of um a little bit of alex stewart's farewell 2003 not that it was stewie's wasn't as stage managed as that but i remember him being chaired around the yeah. old by i think it was rob key now the md <laughs> and freddie flintoff they'd just beaten south africa in a brilliant test match to level 
that series at 2-2, yeah. um, kind of having been down and out on day one of that game. And then uh, Trez smashes a double hundred, Thorpe gets a hundred, Martin Bicknell helps bowl them to... <laughs> to victory uh, and Jimmy Anderson plays in that game as well so uh, but just in terms of that the figure the crowd love Stewie of course as a hometown hero at the Oval uh, brought just a legend of English cricket as well so I had that had that kind of sort of vibe about it of course elevated by it being an Ashes series too and I think all in all he's he's um, he, he's, he's timed it perfectly I mean um, Vish, he, he, he will be remembered as one half of a great double act but he's a special cricketer in his own right, obviously. Uh, the sort of deep love for the game, the improvement, uh, relentless self-improvement. Um, you were, I think, at uh, Lords or County mm. Game at the start of the season when he was uh, you know, enthusiastically talking about his plans for, for, for Marnus and, and Smith. And then all the circus showman stuff and the, the, the dark magic, and <laughs> the bail switch, the, the pantomime stuff. Yeah. I mean... Uh, it was all it was all good stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he will probably only really be able to compute the scale of the retirement and everything that went into it as we go on. Because even just now, sat here, I was thinking back to um, New Zealand earlier this year when he obviously missed Pakistan for the birth of his uh, first child, um, which was in December 2022. But he was netting and he was talking about. Um, a new kind of, not a new release point, but a new gather, that's it. And he said he was been working on that. And when he got to New Zealand, I asked him about it. And it, it's almost similar to like a, you know, a T-Rex cocking his hand because it comes up, you know, quite high to his chin. Mm. And, you know, you can see the presentation of the fingers there and almost like in a claw-like Just as T-Rex is used to bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Those glory yeah. days of test cricket. You know, you've seen a T-Rex you know, uh, do the bed, haven't you? You know, put on duvet. Um <laughs> But he, uh, he he was explaining about it and he was going through such detail that A, not only did I check out because, you know, he was talking a different language to me, but while I was checked out, I was thinking, that's an awful lot, a lot of effort for somebody who's about to turn 37, for somebody who's had so much in his, done so much in his career. And I remember thinking, what an incredible, what an incredible drive, what an incredible drive you have. And you realise actually maybe it was for this. And so when he talks about the outswing at the start of... Um, start of the summer, as it happens in a county championship game against Middlesex, where he didn't seem to bowl that well, and Middlesex ended up chasing down what ended up what was a very generous declaration from Nottinghamshire, but he didn't take a wicket, I think, in that final innings. Um, but yeah, it talks about the outswinger, and you just think it's all kidology, you know, that warningism of um, new deliveries and this, that, and the other, or old deliveries repurposed as new deliveries. And... And then you see the way he bowled and you're like, oh, right, okay, yeah, you, this was all for something. And then with the retirement, I, I'm thinking now, right, okay, you've given yourself, you've really run into this series more than more than anyone else. You've really picked it out and thought, I, I'm going to learn this new skill. I'm going to be able to bowl that delivery and I'm just going to give my all for everything. There's also, you know, I appreciate players don't like us talking about think when things are said off the record, but this is so close to on the record that I think it's worth a mention when we were doing one of the many, many broad interviews in the lead up to this series, I think it was the second one he did for Marmite, of all things. Um, he talked to us about, um, you know, one of, the one of the final questions was about how many tests do you expect to play this Ashes series? And he said, you know, if he plays two, um, he'll be happy. But if he plays one and it's the oval, I, you know, the series is done and it's the oval, then he'd be happy that with that as well. Dictaphones went off. 
And he looked at us and went, but I'll probably play more. And he knew. He's played all six. This <laughs> yeah. If you include Ireland in that, he's amazing durability. Amazing. And kind of like, there were a couple of moments where you wondered... Um, Manchester, it, I think was Manchester was pretty, he was he wasn't great. Yeah, he was so the, the, that, that's the one you wondered. Um, but then just kind of yeah, amazing to get through that that six tests in in two months, just incredible way, and kind of just kind of off the back of that sort of thing. You kind of, I mean, and he he said it he said it didn't he when he spoke in the press conference on the so way to retirement one. He'd also spoken. The funny thing was he he'd been the man put up on day hadn't he yeah. to speak to us and like I remember one of the Aussie journos coming to me um, when we were gathered and we just started to get the tweets about his retirement on that fourth evening and one of the Aussie journos because there was there was questions around the Australia team this week of retirement some of them fueled by certain people going on podcasts in Australia and talking about stuff they had no idea about really um, around David Warner and Steve Smith name names here um, I, uh, you, you can go and former England captains yeah former England maybe captains. Uh, that and, doesn't and, really narrow it down yeah. in the media does it so that's and, I mean, good and, 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 and there had been discussion so they were I mean the Warner wasn't, wasn't outlandish the Steve Smith one not sure where that really came from but the point was the Australia pack had retirements on their mind and like a couple of the guys just because you need to get the quote and you need it like to to, to pad out the piece, had asked um, had asked the players. I think that was the night Smith came in for us, or whatever order it had Smith. So everyone over a couple of days by the Aussie pack asked, "Oh, got to ask you." There's been these retirement rumours, and they all flat batted them. And then so one of the Aussie journalists came to me on that. I said, "How would Stuart have answered if we'd asked him that question? Like yeah. Stuart, what what is your what are you thinking of doing?" And the great thing was, of course, his, his wife Molly went on radio that afternoon, and everyone said, "Don't play poker." With, with Molly King because she was asked by Aggers <laughs> something along the lines of how long Stuart going to play for and she yeah. just didn't give it away and clearly by then she knew but um, but yes you, you kind of you just wondered uh, at that kind of if that question had been asked would he have been able to play it straight I mean he suspected yeah. he would have done being broad uh, but it would have looked very strange than coming out the next day and going oh that's it lads uh, I yeah, wouldn't have put it past him to uh, play it entirely straight I do um recall his poker face from Trent Bridge in 2013 when he didn't I nick one to slip um, well he did he, he nicked it it was a thin edge <laughs> keeper's pads wasn't it and yeah. we're bound it to slip Brad Haddon could catch we wouldn't have this problem we should have known that he was going to play it all five tests because he's played all five tests in every home ashes going back to 2009 ridiculous that, yeah. that was one of the stats of the series when, and I hadn't until someone mentioned I'd not even clocked that and that yeah. was just like stunned me that did I mean it's, it's obvious one but it's like stunned me it was like incredible <laughs> Um, Nasha, the the Aussie side of this, we can uh, uh, sit through. Uh, well, I shouldn't say wreckage. You know, they go home with the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of temperate slightly. Bit of baggage, yeah. maybe. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, um, Stephen Smith, uh, as you say, asked about retirement. Um, yeah, he finished the series with a pretty respectable. 370 runs. Um, he he didn't quite live up to his average at the Oval, I think, despite scoring 50s and 91 heading into the Test match. Yeah, yeah. so dipped, dipped a little bit. Um, Australia had the leading run scorer in Usman Khawaja and the leading wicket taker in Mitchell Stark. I think overall England scored more runs and took more wickets. It was a very tight series. Um, what what are you know? What does the the landscape look? I suppose for that for the Australia team going back into a home summer, and throwing it a bit further forward, we, we've got we might as well start the build up to the next dashes here. Why not? <laughs> uh, 
I'm filing on it later. Kind of like <laughs> first pre-series uh, chat is going up that we've had with Andrew McDonald. Yeah, D- yeah. David Warner yeah. almost almost went out on. I mean, uh, he's ne- never scored a hundred in England, um, and obviously the change ball with the change ball never was going to on that on that final day. But it was a good effort. Another gutsy innings at the end of a, a, a long tour. He's already signposted, you know, his sort of uh, SCG mm. farewell ambitions. Um, but there's quite a lot of quite a lot going on there. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting phase that they're heading into now. Um, this was a legacy tour for them. I mean, they were reluctant to to pin it like that. But when you had the when you had the three sort of ambitions on this tour, World Test Championship final, which was achieved, uh, retain the urn, and win a series in England. Um, so they've come away two out of the three. The the, the missing one is is a big one for them. Uh, partly because, as we touched on earlier, they were so well-placed um, to do it. Um, so although this series has marked the start of the next WTC cycle, it also feels like a bit of an end point or the start, start of an end point uh, because this year was a huge year for in Australia in Test Cricket. started off with going to India, which, again, they missed out on with a horror collapse in Delhi, but actually showed in Indore and Ahmedabad that they weren't perhaps as far away from India as, as people envisaged. Then came here, um, second time in four years they've retained the Ashes here. They've won, uh, they've won three Test matches in England, uh, if, which is not something to be sniffed at. And over the last two Ashes tours here, they've won four Test matches, two in each series, and that's the same that the previous four tours combined had won. So just to add a bit of context in the fact that there's no way that this tour is a failure for Australia. It, there's been a lot of success on it. Uh, the slight way it's going to be remembered is that that success was in the first half, Clearly, they faded after that. So, um, just on Warner, um, I think he's probably done enough to get the Pakistan series and to see it off. I mean, there's a few things that might shape that in the in the coming months. If he has an awful World Cup campaign in India, that might tempt them. But I'd be surprised by that. Really, it would sort of go against the grain slightly for for what they've done. Um, so, I suspect Warner will get his Sydney Sydney send off. So he'll he'll be the first to move on. Um, then it'll be interesting to see how quickly one or two of the others um, sort of sort of start to lead the scene. I suspect the series against India and Australia, uh, the summer after this one coming, um, is a big one for some of them because, of course, India have won the last two series in Australia. One of them was out, Warner and Smith in the team, and then uh, Warner was actually injured for half of the previous one. Smith played all of it. So I think, I think for some of them that will be quite an ambition. I still don't think it's quite at the level of the meaning of an ashes but it's very close now beating india so I, that might keep some of them going um but there's there's going to be a yeah so how many more does Usman kawaja have they'll want to try and get maybe 18 months out of uzi to uh, manage that opening transition turnover mitchell stark um he'll go from white ball after these next two world cups so that might actually extend his test career by another year or so um pat cummins has probably got another four-year cycle in him the next ashes series here might be touch and go uh, nathan Lyon will be back um josh hazelwood's the interesting one because at times he bowled really well on this tour at other times it just felt like he'd lost that little bit of nip in a little bit of a way very different bowlers but a little bit like jimmy mm. in like it's just that little fraction of something that made him such a threat um so that'll be interesting for hazelwood um and then you've obviously got the big smith one um yeah my gut he'll do at least my gut feeling with Smithy is that he'll do up to the India home season in, in two summers' time, but that could change. I don't think Smith's going to be one who lays out his retirement plan 
uh, for the world to see. And he's kind of said it as well a few times that he'll probably be the sort of person that wakes up one morning and just doesn't fancy going for a hit. And for Smith, that's the that's the end point. Yeah. So can anyone seriously imagine? Yeah, that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so, so that will be interesting. So I think it will be. I don't think it will be a dramatic um, set of people leaving in a hurry, um, but I do think there'll be it'll be a quite it'll be a significantly different looking side um, in two years' time when England get get down to Australia, and it, as it will for both teams. Well, yeah. I mean, it, England's old lags got it done in the end. Um, this, the uh, the bowling attack was, I think, the oldest in uh, getting on for a hundred years in any in all Test cricket. I think, but you know, uh, G- Jimmy forty one, Broad thirty seven, Moeen thirty six. Well, people are, people are living longer longer, aren't they? So maybe that's part of it. Maybe this is just a record that will be broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, there's now a big gap. Um, for England uh, in terms of test cricket uh, obviously Stuart Board has already retired um, what uh, the batting order probably isn't going to change that much or at least the, the personnel around the side but w- what what do you see the sort of the shape of the squad looking like for India which is a very different challenge anyway yeah um, to be honest I don't really know because Jimmy's the fascinating one in all this um you know, his economy rate was good, which I appreciate some people will take as a slight or, you know, a way of damning him with faint praise. But in India in particular, during the last India tour, he was outstanding um, and had it on a string. And I imagine that he'd be able to to summon that kind of, I suppose, that kind of performance again across the period of a, of a series, which is, let's say, he'll play three tests of those of those five if... if um, that's what England are thinking, um, but it's I suppose it's about how he wakes up in a month's time, for instance, and you know he's got to have some time off. He's commentating on the hundred. He's going to relax. He's going to go on holiday, and then he's going to come back and think about training again. Even though it's you know be another five Got months. The champo run in with Lancashire. Yeah, well, I mean th- that that will be what it is, yeah, because that will be his only cricket between then and, and the India tour. So he'll probably think about doing that, and maybe within that, when he goes back to Lancashire, he will have that thought of, do I have enough for this? Because there's there was an interesting period. You know, um, Matt Roller mentioned it um, a couple of couple of days ago about how this is the longest breaking we'll have have had in a while between test cricket to the extent that they didn't even have this break during a global pandemic. But the global pandemic was interesting for Jimmy Anderson because what it allowed him to do was it allowed him to play no cricket whatsoever and train in the gym for the first time in a while and actually focus on reinforcing his body. And what happened then was that he came back that summer and bowled the fastest on average that he'd had done for the previous five summers. It was only faster than the previous five summers. He has that period now and he could use it in that way. You know, he, he's a he's a bit of a freak. He's very lithe. He's very athletic. Um, he could use it in that way, but it's just the appetite to use it in that way. And I suppose you know, being as far on as we are from three years, where you do age a bit more when you're in your early now early forties, um, he's he'll be in a situation of I suppose finding out whether he can go back to the well and specifically that well in twenty twenty. And when he when he puts that all down on paper, whether it's in his mind or on paper, I, th- I think he'll probably come to his decision then and there. We will probably only find out if Jimmy Anderson's retired from Test cricket when the central contract list drops and his name's not on there. Oh, by the way, he's got, he's gone. 
Um, he's doing a press conference at Burnley Cricket Club, <laughs> you know, at 2 p.m. tomorrow. If you fancy, if you fancy coming down and talking to him, then you know, let us know. But that, that's what that's what it will be. That's what it will be. This was a very Stuart Broad exit, and I, f- I feel like when it happens, it will be a very James Anderson exit. And, and Chris Wokes, um, you taking him on tour again? Well, I don't think Wokes. <laughs> I, I I think. Wokes is not even thinking about it just yet, but he might do. Um, I think he can be convinced. The other thing you've got to remember is, um, obviously, Moen Ali's ruled himself out, but the other thing to remember is England are in a bit of a, you know, we're about to find out the real tipping point of England's clout here because you've got the SA20, you've got the ILT20. They would be asking players to forgo a lot of money. Someone like Will Jacks springs to mind straight away. He could make a hell of a lot of money, but as a bowling all-rounder, especially without mowing, he's the most mowing-alike bowler there is in in the system, really, and he um, performed very well in Pakistan at the end of last year. He's someone who they'll have to say, look, um, right, what's genuinely, what's your price? And I know that might uh, people might be dismayed to hear that, but that's just the reality of cricket at the moment. Obviously, Will Jacks would love to play Test cricket for England, but he's also got other things to look look for and he's pulled in many other directions. Um, uh, Josh Tung's an interesting one, as is Sam Cook, actually. Sam Cook did very well in, in Sri Lanka without necessarily producing headline figures um, because it was more of a batter's, you know, Jamie Smith sets the new record for Red Bull 100 mm. and, um, in an unofficial winter, test. Yeah, yeah this is last winter. Um, Sam Cook is an intriguing one, actually. Um, but I suppose maybe if, if Anderson d- goes, they probably won't take him. Tongue's an interesting one because he's bowled exceptionally well. And he bowled so well, actually, that Jimmy's underperformance made us wonder what would have happened if we picked, if England mm. had picked Tongue. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the, you know, Rehan Ahmed, you'd imagine, was someone who'd come in, even though I think, you know, he's still very raw. Um, Jack Leach, you'd hope, would be coming back. But it, I wouldn't be surprised even if they. I don't know if they can do this because they'd be paying him to do nothing. But if Jimmy was on the books and they said, you know what, do the first few of uh, of India and then you can go home if you want and then we'll, we'll take it from here. Um, I told you both I was going to ask you this before, so I'm sure you've done your research, meticulously prepared, you know, written this all down by hand, um, testing your predictive powers here, Vish, as you, you set yourself right. up. But um, I'm going to ask for both of your 11s for the Gabba at 2025-26. Two and a half years from now. <laughs> Come on, and we'll, and we'll revisit this That's then. utterly yeah. outrageous. <laughs> Shall I go first then? <laughs> um, I'll have to think of this on the hoof, but oh, well, no, I have thought about it a bit. Um, <laughs> what? As in, I've, just not written it, I've just not got it written down in front of me. Um, so, um, Matt Renshaw, I think, is leading the pack to replace Warner, so I'll put him there. Uzi Kawaj is a real interesting one. I've got a sneaking suspicion he might still be able to be going by then. Um, borderline, but I'm going to stick him as the opener. Uh, Marnus at three isn't going anywhere. Um, having previously said what I said about Smith finishing, I, he might be gone by then. So going to go Cameron Green is in at number four by then. Uh, Travis Head stays at five. Um, just for the fun and games, I'm going to say Mitch Marsh's career resurgence continues and he's still in there at number six. Nice. Um, Carey keeps the gloves unless something really dramatic happens, I think, um, at number seven. Um, and then Pat Cummins will still be going. I'm not sure he'll be captain by then, but he'll still be going. Um, I think Nathan Lyon will get himself there. Um, and then the last two bowling spots, interesting ones actually, 
I'll look to the future of those two. I'll go Jai Richardson, if he can get his body right, and Lance Morris, the wild thing, who has been around squads in the last 18 months. Um, I'll put them ahead of Stark and Hazelwood. I think they may have drifted off by then. So that's that would be my 11 for the Gabba. Uzi Kawada is the big unknown there. I've perhaps pushed him a little bit too far there, but he's not played a lot of test cricket. Obviously, had that four-year gap or three-year gap. So... Um, and he doesn't play white ball cricket for Australia, so he can keep himself fresh, uh, a bit like Jimmy does in a way for England, really. Um, so, um, yeah. He, he's I'll, got I'll, one of the, the best all-time averages for an Yeah, so if, if he, <laughs> he needed, I think, another 15, 20 runs to be top of that minimum 20 innings thing, highest op- as average of an opener. I think he's number two on that list now, averaging 61 and a bit. So tremendous latter part of his career. Um, yeah, probably asking a lot of him to do three more home summers, but um, yeah, that, that's my Gabba 11. That's your big ask as, as, as selector. Um, Vish, who, uh, who are the players that are going to basball their way to a 500-run defeat? So this is two and a half years' time? <laughs> yeah, 25-26. Yeah, right, okay. I've, I've gone quite rogue here. You could probably keep the t- same top six, but, but well, so, so feel I free ha- not to. So I have done that. Ah, okay. So yeah, Crawley, Duckett, Pope, Root, Stokes... Brooke, yeah. That's who I miss. Oh, my God, I miss Harry Brooke. Oh, my God. It's been a long summer so far. Yeah, okay, so that... I left out the best young player in the world. Jeez. Um, basically, I was... Johnny focused... Bairstow keeping the gloves? No, I don't think Johnny Bairstow's in the team in that point. Uh, so I'm going for... One of Ollie Robinson or Jamie Smith. Ollie Robinson of Durham, Jamie Smith of Surrey... Mm-hmm. I think they'll pull in from that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just they they play the Jamie Smith particularly plays the way that they're all over. I think just because I've mentioned them, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they become the new Bearstow Butler conversation that we have because they'll both play. They're both good enough to specifically Ollie Robinson's good enough to play as a batter. Can we cope with oh, right. two Ollie Robinsons in an England team? Well, he's in this team as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, there are the only two Ollie Robinsons. Yeah. I've gone for Gus Atkinson of Surrey. Because nice, he is rapid and needs to be fast-tracked. And he's all well, these just really like making waves. He is older than you think. So he's, there'll be a maturity about him, certainly physically as well. Uh, Josh Tung and Jack Leach. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you were picking a spinner. I am picking a spinner, yeah. <laughs> I am picking a spinner. Well, because alternatively, you could and there throw aren't many Will others. Jackson that middle, <laughs> didn't you? So, so does, a, does a lot of that depend on... Um, whether Ben Stokes can bowl again in international cricket sort of thing or no a lot of those are just names I wrote out <laughs> during your answer <laughs> when you're deciding if See, I'm Uzo challenging you now on play to the age of 55 this, this selection of eight because um, no because it's just interesting going back to this summer isn't it how they can't and I'd know Stokes coming in at three in this last test was forced because of Mo's injury but um, and Stokes is now going to have and this Pope's gap injury. and Pope's injury <laughs> but, and, and Stokes is now going to have this gap to look at the knee properly and and maybe get something sorted out but it's by no means certain he'll be able to get back to being a full-on bowler and kind of like we've seen so many England teams go to Australia with three quicks and a spinner and it can get ugly and yeah kind of like and, and I know that's how they won in 10-11 because so many things came together in in, in that era but um you do you do just wonder whether um kind of like Maybe Vish is leaving out Harry Brook in the end anyway, just to squeeze in the other all-rounder. Well, the, well the, I mean, I suppose, like, it depends how... I'm not saying, like, England are changing the game more broadly, but the, their approach to it shifts. 
every series, doesn't it? And I suppose Stokes will be will be going there and taking all his learnings from what you need in Australia. Stokes might be the off spinner by then. Well, God, yeah. There's too much chat about that. <laughs> he's, he's bowl, he bowls off spin in the nets all the time. Harry Brooks medium pace and Ben Stokes is off spin. Well, yeah, Harry Brooks more rounder. So um, there's someone, someone. I think, I, th I think he's gone. I think he's slipped through the cracks um, because of how useful he is to the white ball team and how useful he is to franchises all over the world. I, I really think at the start of next year, when this all dies down, when the 50 over World Cups out of the way. I think... You're going to say Liam Dawson? No. <laughs> the last time he was mentioned in here, yeah. things went haywire. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for McCollum and Stokes having a conversation with Sam Curran because he is someone who adds a point of difference, especially now that Broad's gone and Anderson is on his way. Just that extra bit of variety as well. Just speak to him about his workload, speak to him about his appetite for playing more test cricket. I thought it was interesting that the last person from an English perspective to win player of a series, having only played three out of five tests was Sam Curran in 2018, where mm. it was a series of cameos really, Against but India. really real game changing mm. cameos, like charging Ashwin when, no, when everyone was trying to play him at the crease, neither forward nor back. I think he's someone who can add a different dimension to this team because he's an exceptional batter. He takes wickets, on a whim, really, and important wicket to that. I would maybe just get him on a golf course, maybe just get him in a bar and corner him. And Sounds like a basketball way of deciding Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but, but generally, yeah. You know, don't just send him one text. Send him numerous texts at 4.11 in the morning. <laughs> and, and because he, there's something about Sam Curry. You know, we always talk about Josh Butler as... God, he's the one who got away. And that's the cool thing about Moeen and Wokes is they've, they've had their piece of this and you can see how um, how well they've done. But Sam Curran is the one that... Just just have a word, Ben. Just have a word. Test cricket is back. He's going to want in, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's that's kind of Saving the whole the thing, game. isn't it? There's, a, there's an in interesting split in county cricket. People who genuinely hate what the England team are doing because they feel like they're a bit more of a clique than before and a different kind of clique because they're a bit more closed off. And there are others who... I actually play their cricket in that manner and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, that, that looks pretty good. And, oh, they're not necessarily looking at the fact that I constantly nick off because, you know, I'm playing on pitches that do all sorts against bowlers. Who Zach Crawley debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there's, there's an interesting thing at play there, but um, I suppose we'll, we'll find out um, in a couple of years how, uh, how sustainable it becomes. Yes, the baseball dream, um, the bus rolls ever on thank you both uh, for humoring me there and um, well played this series um our urn runneth over the basketball ashes will live long in the memory though they'll have to shove off pretty quickly as 100 starts in a couple of hours <laughs> the pod is due some rest and rotation but we'll be back for more later this month until then my thanks to nasha and vish and to you all for tuning in to the switch it podcast on espncrickinfo.com